Welcome to the Foot and Ankle Project, where we stride into the world of foot and ankle pain, function, and performance. I'm your host, Tim Pargeter. In each episode, we dive into expert insights, athlete stories, and helpful solutions for those seeking improvement of their pain and performance. I hope you enjoy and share. Welcome back to the fourth episode of the Foot and Ankle Project. Thank you for listening in today. And today's episode, we're going to be diving into treatments for plantar heel pain and more specifically, plantar fasciopathy. Now, this episode here is a, it's a continuation from episode three, and that's where we introduce plantar heel pain and plantar fasciopathy. And we discuss things like, what is plantar fasciopathy? how we diagnose the pain, and also what sort of symptoms tend to present when someone's suffering from plantar fascia pain, and also potentially some causative factors. Now, you're more than welcome to go back and have a listen to that podcast so you get more of a detailed understanding of of what's involved with plantar fasciopathy, but a really quick recap that I'm going to have a chat about just before we dive into the treatments is that Plantar fasciopathy is pain that originates from the plantar fascia. And when we look at what the plantar fascia is, it, it acts very similar to the, to the Achilles tendon in that it's, it's the biggest, strong, thick, elastic band that you can think of. And it inserts itself into the heel bone, spreads into the arch and through into the base of the toes. Now, like I said, it acts like a big elastic band and basically what that means is that when you're running, hopping, skipping, jumping, change of direction, that's when you're really utilizing the plantar fascia and essentially it acts to help with shock absorption, hold energy and then return that energy with with whatever you're doing, whether it be walking, running, change of direction, etc. And we tend to find that it presents with pain underneath the heel or at the backside of the arch. You'll have pain and stiffness usually in the morning that tends to warm up. And we can usually relate that to some sort of change in your loading, whether that be at work related, whether it be exercise related, or might have been a change in shoes or something that has gone on. And that's usually how we go and, and diagnose plantar fasciopathy. So with that, let's jump into the treatment of plantar fasciopathy. And just like any injury, there are so many ways that you can approach a management plan, but it, it really needs to be quite individualized to the person. So, of course, I'm going to have a chat about some really common ways that we tend to approach the treatment of plantar fascia pain. And if that's helpful for you or someone that you know, then excellent. Now, one of the ways or the main ways that I tend to approach this is I like to have a bit of a, a really good history and, and look at what might have come into some of the causative factors that might be aggravating the symptoms. And we first of all have a look at any changes in loading. And by loading, I mean things like steps, walking, whether it be running, whether it be some sort of more work-related change. And we go through the history and say, right, potentially one of the first and easiest things we have a look at is what are the ways that we can reduce the amount of load that's going through the plantar fascia? And how I think about this is that this can be done, what I would say, internally or externally. And I, and I dive deeper into this into our second episode on loads versus capacity. But what I mean by that is that an external load is is more of that running, walking, change of direction sort of activity. So, for example, 
a runner. If a runner is having symptoms with their plantar fascia pain, one of the easiest things that someone might say is they might say, okay, let's potentially stop running or reduce the volume of running. I don't love stopping people unless it's a severe case. And the reason for that is because just like the load versus capacity, if we stop someone from loading, then the capacity doesn't necessarily improve. It will it will surely reduce. So I always like to think, what are the ways that we can reduce the aggravating load? So that might be, hey, could we potentially reduce the volume of your running or your walking? Or could we reduce the intensity of the exercise that you're partaking in? And it usually only needs to be the types of exercises that's going to load the plantar fascia. So if you're at the gym or you're in a high intensity class and you're doing box jumps, for example, that jumping and landing is going to load the plantar fascia. So I might say, hey, maybe we could change to a step up as opposed to a box jump or Maybe we stay running on flat ground as opposed to looking at hills. And so that's why I like to think that we're trying to reduce those aggravating exercise loading. It doesn't necessarily mean that we need to stop because then we're going to be facing an overall big reduction in potentially capacity, uh, which doesn't happen overnight. But if you continue on for weeks on end, then, then that can certainly be the place. That, that can happen. So that's what I look at when when I talk about reducing an external load and it's the physical activities that you're actually partaking in. We then can go and have a look and say, right, what sort of sort of internal load changes can we make? And that's when I tend to come in and say, right, this is where we can have a bit of a look at things like potentially some footwear modification. And depending, of course, on the presentation and the history, sometimes altering footwear can be really helpful. And it's always important to remember that it's, it's the combination of footwear that can influence symptoms. It's not the one pair of shoes usually. And what I mean by that is I always say to people, you know, where do you spend most of your time? And the answer is usually within work or exercise. And so we first have a look at those shoes and say, right, you know, what is it about these shoes that potentially could be improving symptoms or not necessarily improving it? What I tend to find is that people that have plantar fascia pain like a fair bit of cushioning through the heel just to reduce the peak pressure that can go through the plantar aspect of the foot or the bottom aspect of the heel. And so we might look and say, right, if you're someone who's standing on your feet a lot for work, is there potentially a shoe that you feel nice and stable in, but does have an increased amount of just cushioning through the base of that heel to try and deload where that plantar fascia actually inserts into the heel bone, as opposed to changing potentially casual shoes and other sorts of shoes first. So that's generally where I'll have a bit of a look in terms of that footwear modification is looking where do you spend most of your time, potentially what sort of shoes are giving you low symptoms at the moment, and then how can we modify that to keep you in those shoes for a longer part of the day. And again, it's not always going to be a long-term thing. If we put you into more of a jogger style or runner style shoe for to improve symptoms it doesn't mean that you're going to be wearing them forever okay so that's something that's really important to remember so some really common things that people do is you know they might they might get an archy thong that has a little bit more cushion underneath the heel and a little bit of arch contour which people generally find really comfortable with this presentation or they might say okay i'm, I'm going to wear more of a a, a jogger or a running style shoe to work for the next two weeks because I find them more comfortable and I tend to have lower symptoms when I'm wearing those shoes. And again, it's these short-term modifications to try and get a symptom improvement to ensure that people are moving on the right track. Now, there's a million ways that I can go with footwear 
And that's where I'm going to leave it today because there will be more, there's more things coming in the foot world. So you're just going to have to bear with me there in terms of where we're creating a guide for people, whether you're a runner, whether you're a walker or depending on your presentation to actually pick an appropriate pair of shoes that's going to get updated regularly. So bear with me for that one. The ultimate shoe guide is certainly coming. Now, one of the things that research has been shown to be really effective in the management of plantar fasciopathy is taping. Now, there was a research article that was presented and basically this research article was, it was a review of the management of plantar heel pain and it's essentially a best practice guide. And what they did is they did a systematic review. They had an expert clinical panel and they looked at patient outcomes when they were completing this. And it was completed in 2001. So it's quite a, it's quite a recent study. Now, what they looked at and they looked at, you know, what are the best ways that we can try and improve plantar heel pain? And, and the first line of treatment that they found to be most effective was the following three things. First one was taping. Second one was education. And the third one was what they described as a plantar fascia stretch. Now, taping essentially involves, I tend to use the rigid tape underneath the arch. And if you were to, you know, Google or YouTube plantar fascia taping, you would find a multitude of options that you can complete this in. The reason that I believe taping can be helpful is because it might be a way that it deloads the plantar fascia, but it's also a, a really effective way that people describe to me that they feel really stable and held in when they've got the tape on. And it generally can have a really positive impact to improve symptoms, but it's also something that can be easily reproduced at home. So that's what I also like when we're looking at management of symptoms is that it's also something that you can do really effectively at home. And what I will do is I'll link into the show notes some common ways that you can actually do this taping just so then you can, if, if you are suffering from plantar heel pain, you can have a look at that taping style and hopefully get some improvement in symptoms. Now, one of the common things that I do talk to people about and a really common way that people have tried to treat their plantar heel pain before is by rolling their foot over a cold frozen water bowl. It's been around forever. I hear about it all the time. I, and I'm sure it's helped certain people since I've graduated and it could have been a little bit of, you know, the clinic I was working in, in in terms of the way that we treated plantar heel pain there, but I've always used heat for plantar, for plantar fasciopathy. And theoretically, the reason I do this is because the plantar fascia has a really poor blood supply. Now, Blood is what heals within the body and it, and and if there's a poor blood supply to a particular structure, then maybe heat might have a bit of an impact on the ability to deliver to deliver blood flow into the area and help at a repairing level. But what I also tend to feel like is especially when we have a presentation that tends to warm up and feel better, the heat might actually allow that warming up process to stay for longer. And and usually when someone is resting and they go to stand up again, their, their feet, foot tends to hurt with plantar, plantar fascia pain. So if they're sitting and they place a heel, a heat bag underneath their foot, potentially what that might do is it might offset some of that stiffness that they get whilst they're sitting. And so they stand up and it tends to be a helpful intervention for them. So that's what I tend to personally like. I think that the ice frozen water bottle tends to work more because of the hardness of the bottle. 
as opposed to the frozen aspect of that. And that's potentially where the plantar fascia stretch comes in that was well-researched in terms of that article that I just spoke about. So how I tend to utilize a plantar fascia stretch is I either use a small, firm ball that doesn't have spikes on it, that's smooth, or I tend to look at the plantar fascia stretch, which was which was spoken about in the literature, which again, I'll link into the show notes so you can have a bit of an idea of that. So that's a really big starting point that I tend to have a look at in, in the early phases of this treatment. And that is, again, we reduce the aggravating load based on the person, not necessarily getting them to stop. We have a footwear modification that will, again, will depend on the person, but the aim is to try and get them in shoes that has an improvement in symptoms and comfort for them, looking at taping and then potentially looking at heat or a plantar fascia stretch to try and improve those symptoms in the short term. Now, I think understanding the diagnosis is really important and that's where these podcasts are going to come in hopefully to be really helpful. But what I do tell people is that the recovery path isn't always smooth. And what I mean by that is that there's a very high likelihood that no matter the management plan, no matter the the, the best ability for us to try and perfect that for clients, is there's likely going to be a flare. And when I say flare, I, I talk about a flare being an increase in symptoms and the likelihood of multiple flares occurring during a recovery from plantar heel pain it's, is, is high. And the reason for that is because there's certain times through the recovery where we have to do a bit of a test and retest in terms of particular loads that were previously aggravating. And it's, it's easy to get dis- discouraged by a flare. But what I normally you know, really remind people to do is just zoom out and remember how, how far they've actually come in this. And flares can occur during rehab simply because we're applying a further load, which would, could be a part of an exercise rehab program trying to return to those pre-injury activity levels and even changes to the rehab program overall. And look, sometimes flares don't always need an explanation. And so it can really impact on, you know, how stressed are you? How well have you sleep? What's your nutrition and hydration look for for the day? And what I, what I generally do is I'll actually draw a graph where we have pain on one side, time on the bottom. And it's, it, I'd love it to be just a straight journey from 10 out of 10 pain to zero, but it usually looks like a wavy mountain that's slowly working its way down. And it's just a good reminder to clients that, look, the flare is going to happen, but you're progressing in a really good, positive way, hopefully, of course, to where they want to be. Now, the the next phase I tend to look at after we've looked at the the loading that's going through the fascia and hopefully got a, a good improvement in symptoms is I then say, what's next and and for me that's where i have a look at the other side of that seesaw and i begin to try and see if we can potentially improve some of the capacity around the plantar fascia and the surrounding structures so what i mean by that is that i look to then have a look at the foot and the calf structure and say right what sort of key areas do we need to focus on and the big key areas that i look at is i look at balance and stability of the foot i look at the foot and the calf muscle in terms of a strengthening point I look at what specific exercises can we utilize that will actually load the plantar fascia more specifically to try and get those plantar fascial cells to hopefully turn over and lay down some more nice new cells. And then what I tend to look at a lot more lately, especially with people who are looking at more of those running based and jumping, hopping, skipping exercises is what we call a plyometric progression. So that means for more of those advanced rehabilitations, what sort of hopping, skipping, jumping do we need to be doing 
to actually train people in preparation for their returning to what they'd like to be doing. So, you know, we, 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 I generally will vary a bit of the rehab around those things. And I might start and say, right, we'll start with some balance. We'll start with some calf work. We'll load the plantar fascia pending how symptomatic we are. And then we'll, we'll finish with some plyometric work. And this could happen over six or 12 weeks, depending on how symptomatic it is for someone. But, you know, a, a typical rehab plan might be, Let's start with some single leg standing balance. Let's have a look at introducing potentially some some calf strength work. So that might be a calf raise hold. It might be a weighted single leg calf raise. It could be a seated calf raise. I'll then say potentially what way can we load the plantar fascia more specifically and how we do that is we usually pop something underneath the toes which applies a stretch to that plantar fascia and then we partake in some some calf and foot strengthening exercises so think doing a calf raise and having a a towel rolled up underneath your toes that's a nice example of how we would specifically load the plantar fascia and then i might say okay let's begin to load this foot in in a way where it's close to the exercise you used to do, but not necessarily that much. I might say, you know, to someone, let's go for a 10 minute walk twice daily. Uh, and, and the reason I might start with walking is because we know that they can do it without, with low symptoms and not flare them up as they go through it. Or, or it might be a, you know, the introduction of a gentle return to run in those early days which is you know half walking half running and again this is so individualized but it's it's nice to be able to try and get people close to what they were previously doing just to really keep that motivation nice and high now one of the key things that i talk to people about is that through the journey it's really common to actually have symptoms whilst you're doing rehabilitation and that's okay and the reason it's okay is because we're essentially providing load to a structure that is signaling pain is you know, is potentially going through a recovery journey. So what I always talk about is that if symptoms are lower than four out of 10, I can presume that the exercise you're doing is safe and I'm going to hope that it's not going to flare you up. Now, you'll know if it's too much and because the following morning you'll have those normal symptoms of stiffness, takes time to warm up, it might have increased a little bit more than the previous day. And that might mean that we just need to alter that rehabilitation plan a little bit because the exercise rehab that we applied was too much of a load. So again, it's quite normal for people to have symptoms with that, but as long as they're low and stable and they're not changing and worsening the following morning, then I'm really happy with that loading. And I say to people, look, the reality is, is we're likely to get you back really functional and close to that end goal of what you're trying to achieve, but there'll probably be symptoms along the way. It's not going to be a pain-free journey. And I think managing that expectation at an early point, it builds confidence in people and it just allows them to continue that rehab pathway, knowing that the exercise they're doing is not necessarily aggravating the foot. We're just loading that structure in a way that's enough to load it, hopefully to get some positive change, but not too much to cause a flare as they progress through. So that, that's how I generally take on the capacity side of that seesaw. So we've spoken about managing the load. We've looked at, you know, ways that we can potentially look at introducing capacity and some things to think about. Now, what I do commonly get asked is, you know, there's, there's other treatments that might help with plantar fasciopathy. And, and these are things that we're certainly going to talk further about in coming episodes. But other things that have been positively shown to improve plantar fasciopathy is the following. So first thing is, is of course, and one that I get commonly asked about is on anorthotic. 
Do orthotics help plantar fasciopathy? And my answer to that is always it depends, but a really principle, a big, sorry, an underlying principle for me is that an orthotic is part of the recovery plan, not the whole plan. And, and what I mean by that is that how I tend to look at an orthotic, if we look at the load versus capacity, an orthotic sits under that load side. It, it's essentially a tool that manages load going through the foot. And how I think about it at, at the most basic level is that if we have an orthotic that has potentially a bit more arch or fill through the inside, that it should take load off that part of your foot. If we have more fill on the outside, then it might take load off that part. And essentially how we believe orthotics work is that it's managing load through different parts of your foot based on the prescription. So I, I always really keep that in mind is that it, it's not the be all and end all. It's not, you have plantar fasciopathy, here's the orthotic, everything's going to be fine. That might be the case for someone, but I usually say that it, it impacts on that load versus capacity. And so it, it, it really depends. And, and when I tend to implement with an orthotic, it, it will depend on the following things. It depends on firstly, client preferences towards a treatment plan. So some people come in, they're like, you know, I don't want to do orthotics. I want to try and manage this a, a little bit more organically or, or trying to improve their overall you know, function and capacity. But things I tend to think about is, you know, time until the upcoming goal. Could an orthotic move the needle faster than not utilizing that because we're having a little bit more consistent management of the load? How much time do they spend on their feet at a day-to-day and week-to-week level? Are they on their feet all day for work? Are they running, you know, 160 kilometers a week and again, they have an upcoming goal? How severe are the symptoms? And that can be a big thing. If someone's really suffering and we need and we get a positive impact from taping, we might look and say, hey, what does an orthotic look like just to try and get those symptoms to move? And then I also have a look and say, right, how strong are they through their feet and their ankles? Because if they're really strong and the control's really good, then you know it's hard sometimes to know how much an orthotic will will help. But I certainly appreciate the use of an orthotic. They can be a really great tool, but it's it's certainly not the only option when it comes to plantar fascia pain. So the the other the other ways that we can treat plantar fasciopathy is shockwave is a really common one. Now, shockwave is a form of treatment, and essentially it involves a high number of contacts from a machine and a handle, and you apply that to the sore area. And what it does at a basic level is that we believe that it can improve the healing process because it it sort of we think that there's some remodeling that occurs at the plantar fascia level but it also we believe impacts on on how sensitive our our brain essentially is to pain reception in that area and so what i mean is that it actually provides like a a what we call analgesic effect or it actually reduces the pain at the area it is a painful treatment it is a painful treatment i'll repeat that twice but, it, you know, the research is suggestive that it can be really good. And again, I'm going to talk about these more in upcoming episodes. Um, injections can be helpful. So, the most commonly used injection for plantar fasciopathy is a corticosteroid injection or a, or a cortisone injection. Um, it's essentially a potent anti-inflammatory. And what I generally say to people is that it, it, it can be really great in the short term, but what you've got to understand is if you've got a low capacity, it's not going to help improve the capacity. It, it, it can and it does improve symptoms for certain people, but it, it may not be as long-term improvement as, as you're after. 
There's also what they call a PRP injection, which is what they, which is a, a platelet-rich plasma injection, and that's essentially where your own blood is drawn out. It gets spun up, and the plasma is then re-injected back into the body because it has the high content of platelets. Platelets. It's it's the idea is that it, it increases the healing of that injured tissue. So, um, more research, of course, needs to be done about these other modalities. But I always say to people that they are an adjunct. And by adjunct, I mean that they are part of the plan. It's not we only do this one thing and we do nothing else. It's we look at load, we look at capacity. How could these other ones come in as a factor to try and improve symptoms? Finally, we then look at the return to activity or sport. Now, uh, this can, you know, it might be a return to full walking or, or full running volume and things like that. And this is a phase that generally comes in when, when the symptoms are more stable and consistent and we've actually introduced some similar loads to people through their rehab plan. So I always say to runners, if you're not single leg hopping, then you're not returning to run. And so it's sort of, that's what I generally think about is that we try and, emulate what someone is doing or want to be doing in that rehab journey so that then we're building some confidence in them and also myself as a practitioner to know that when they do go back to what they want to do then they're going to have the capacity to handle that so that's generally when I'm happy to get people back is that when they're completing and partaking in rehabilitation that sort of mimics what they're going to be doing so you know it might be a tennis player they they need to be doing side side change of direction work and hopping and not flaring up from that the following day before we return them. Now, I try and get people back into their sport as soon as they can because I feel like even little bouts of it, whether it be, hey, maybe we're not going for a full game of tennis, we might, you know, just do 10 to 15 minutes with not a low intensity. I think it's really good at a mental point to just try and remain positive through that journey. And the same goes with runners. I tend to try and get people back in more and more as soon as we can. Again, with the expectation that, hey, we're, we're going to try and manage this so that you don't flare. But it, it, it likely will happen in that journey. So that is generally um, how I sort of uh, take that that return to activity or sport. Now, that is largely how I manage plantar fasciopathy at a very uh, general point. As I, as I said earlier, it needs to be really individualized for the person. And I think just going through that sort of series generally gets some really good outcomes for people. And there will be future episodes with some more specificities on on the various treatments. But I think it, it just gives a nice overview as to the approach that you can take to improving plantar fascia pain. So if you know anyone that's suffering from plantar heel pain, please send this through to them. They might find it useful. And also, if you're enjoying the episode, please, if you could take five seconds and one tap of the thumb to potentially give us a five-star review. That would be really helpful for the podcast. And otherwise, thank you for listening in and we will see you next time.